let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence, your goodness. Thank you for your word. And as we just have had time to talk about you and talk about how you have uh, intervened in the life of Jacob, it has been a great source of encouragement and hope to us. So I pray that as we get together now and just listen into um, more of what you have for us, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive it from you. And Lord, that we would uh, choose to make some decisions and choose to follow how you are leading us individually as a result. Be different and walk out from here uh, encouraged, hopeful, and people of light, walking in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. When I read this chapter, I was like, wow. <laughs> There's so much here, Lord. You know, where, how do we bring it down? It's, someone said to me, how do you make it succinct? <laughs> and I'm, again, I'm so thrilled that the way this Bible study works, where you guys actually sit down and study it all out together first, so I don't feel I have to necessarily go over every detail again because we've been there. So I was just asking him, I thought, you know, when I first read it, the first thing I noticed was all the the murmuring, all the eh, bad feelings, unfriendly Laban's sons, they weren't friendly, they didn't appreciate and like Jacob because Jacob was essentially stealing everything they felt was their right. And then, of course... Laban's also feeling unfriendly and murmuring and resentful towards Jacob. And then, of course, you've got the girls, and they're definitely full of resentment and murmuring. And, and then Jacob, who actually for 20 years, there's no record of him complaining to Jacob. But we know with the outburst later on, there was a lot of resentment, and it's all underneath the surface. So I thought, oh, we could go that route, you know, talk about that kind of murmuring and that resentment and things like that. And then I thought, well, and then there's the obvious uh, theme of living out the consequences of your choices, <laughs> that Jacob not only is known as a deceiver and did deceive and started off his journey with deception, he himself ended up receiving a lot of deception in his life. And, you know, later on, as we remember the story of Joseph, Jacob's own sons deceive him. So it's like it's a, a root in this family, you know? And it's something that is it's, it's in the past, it's in the present, it's going to be in the future, and it, it's just there. Uh, I thought about also, well, you know, where our Bible study took, to, took us to, the, the whole peacemaking process that happened. And then, of course, you can't miss all the way throughout the whole chapter God's presence, God's involvement, or his lack of involvement, whatever it is, the way you choose to see it. So I asked the Lord, I said, where, what do I do? Where do you want me to go with this? And he really, I believe, he, he brought me to come at this in a proactive way. In other words, against the first thing that he, I want to talk to you about is against the backdrop of deception and resentment and bad choices and bad feelings and kind of dysfunction. I believe that God is calling us forward to three positive choices. The first one is choose to be 
authentic. Choose to be an honest person. You know, do you remember when Jesus saw Nathaniel and he was choosing his disciples? First, it's in John 1. Jesus was going to Galilee, saw Philip, and he said, follow me. And so Philip, he's from Bethesda, and, or Bethsaida, and he goes and he says, oh, Nathaniel, you've got to come. We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> but he goes. And when Jesus sees him, he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Do you know what guile means? Guile is deceit. It's shrewd. It's spinning the story. It's where you are uh, manipulating things. So one who is without guile is just the opposite. That's a person who we would call real, authentic. They are honest. They're honest with themselves. They know they're not hot stuff. <laughs> they know their own sin and their own tendencies and their own weaknesses. But they're honest about that with you too. So they're the kind of people, and you know them, they're not always immediately known, but you know them. And they kind of what you see is, is what you get. And so they wear their heart on their sleeve. They are the ones that are genuine with others. Jesus, if you remember in Matthew, he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He was calling forward to be a person of integrity just say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Don't beat around the bush. Don't try to tell somebody something they want to hear, but inside you're like, no, I'm not going to do it. He's just saying, be an, a person of integrity as you deal with others. Be open. Be vulnerable. Now, that's not always the easiest to do, right? <laughs> Sometimes it hurts from the past that will cause us to slowly put up walls and keep people at a distance, and we're afraid to let them get close. Or we'll put masks on to, you know that commercial that's out there right now about depression? Oh, yeah. I was almost going to bring my little pie face today and say, I'm fine. <laughs> you know what they say, fine is defined as? Feelings inside not expressed. <laughs> so. So when you go out today and say, I'm fine, I'm going to look at you like, really? <laughs> but no, what happens is we do put the masks on with each other. Because what if I don't wear the mask, and what if you don't like me? That's all I have. So we put the masks on, not only to be liked, but to kind of what we feel we need to do to function with people. Or we put the barriers up, and we keep people at a distance, and we, we let, we're kind of prickly and we won't let people in. And so what happens is that we become and we begin to nurture inauthenticity. But the Lord says in Psalm 51, he desires truth from the inward being. And he wants us, when we come to him, you know, one of the wonderful things about praying together is that you tend to be much more authentic in your prayers. Well, sometimes, you know, you can get the whole flowery thing going and saying all the words. I did hear a great story once about a lady who um, 
was at a Bible study or at a prayer meeting, and everybody was together, and they were all doing the inauthentic prayer. And they were praying in the flowery stuff, and somebody said, and oh, the webs we weave, come alongside and help us to kind of wade through these webs of, of deceit. <laughs> there was a pause, and then this little lady says, ah, Lord, just kill the spider. <laughs> just kill the spider. Forget the webs. You know, and I think that's what happens a lot of times is we are dealing with webs with each other. And, and I think what the Lord is calling, when we come to pray together, just be honest in our confession of our sins to each other and before him and with him. Because so many times, we know, we might think, oh, I shouldn't really say I'm angry with you, Lord. And the Lord is going, I know. I already know. So let's just talk at this level. <laughs> let's work it through for together here. Just come to me with all of those feelings. We live in a society of deceit. We have, um, we've, we've grown accustomed and expect our politicians to lie to us. We're not surprised. Um, there's always a spin on something. We sometimes are pretty uh, even, mm, what's the word, skeptical and a bit uh, sarcastic and maybe even um, jaded, if you will, with even some of the big preachers out there. We don't trust each other anymore. We don't trust words that are being said. And the call to us today, I believe, as we look at the mess that Jacob was making <laughs> and everybody else, the call is to come out from that, to, to be, grow to be an authentic person. And I know it's a process, but the Lord is saying, I want you to let me come to you. I want you to be real with me and then help you. Let me help you to become real with other people. And it, it may be that you just start with a few people that you are close to and just being able to be honest with them and say, I'm really struggling. Did you notice that sometimes when you are vulnerable and you're willing to be honest and real, that you actually encourage that back? I remember once John and I, we were going through a really, really tough time with our daughter and she was in full-blown rebellion and making life miserable for us. And um, I remember we went up to a big celebration up in the Northwest and we were visiting, and it was somebody's 50th, and everybody was talking and talking at these, you know, that really awful, inauthentic, superficial level. <laughs> but you kind of got to do it, you know, because you don't really know each other. And anyways, we talked to this couple, and they were going on and on about how well their kids were doing, and they were in university, and one was a lawyer, and one was going to be a doctor. And we were just like, wow, that's really great. And they said, what about your kids? <laughs> and we said, well... Our son is doing fine. I said, but our daughter's breaking our heart right now, to be honest with you. She's just walking far from the Lord. And you know, their whole face changed. They looked at us and they went, well, actually, our kids are doing well in school, but they both have told us that they're atheists now. So what happened is our willingness to be honest drew that out, and we could pray for each other, for our kids. And it was, it was just some, it was a reminder. It was such a visual in my mind because they were so proud. And then they just like, oh, well, here's the real story. Let's pray together. Let's encourage each other. The next area, the next call out that I believe the Lord has for us in this is something that actually our Bible study kind of prompted us, us towards. 
And that is, be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. You know the difference? <laughs> a peacemaker works hard at reconciliation with others. A peacekeeper doesn't want to rock the boat. So what will happen is a peacekeeper will generally move towards inauthenticity. They won't speak the truth. They'll kind of just bury it and hold a lot of resentment, like we saw in this chapter, until it blows up and erupts sometime later. And at that time, usually what will come out are all the words you really don't want to say, and the wounding is deeper. But the peacemaker is the one who can speak the truth in love. Do you remember Paul talking to us in Ephesians about that? The key is those two factors, being able to speak truth, but with love. With love. And, you know, I think what happens oftentimes is there are two individuals in here, probably. <laughs> one of you is like, yes, <laughs> you're the truth talker. You're the one that says, let's get it on the table right now and talk about this. I have a lot of offenses that I have to bring up to you right now. I've been feeling this, and you're going to hear it right now. And they read the riot act. <laughs> this is not your free pass for that <laughs> when I say be a peacemaker. Because what happens is wisdom is taking, first of all, those anger and those offenses to the Lord. First of all. Remember, James, be slow to anger, quick to listen, but slow to speak. It's not, I think the key is, is you do want to be able to talk truth, but be careful that you don't jump the gun. You have to stop. Go before the Lord and let him. Um, speaking of James, one of the things, that, the verses that I brought out later, or wanted to bring out to you is James 3, 17 and 18, because we oftentimes say, Lord, give me wisdom to know just how to approach this, and the timing, all important. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, guile again, deceit, hypocrisy. And it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So when we say be a peacemaker, it does mean talking truth, but it's also going before the Lord and saying, Lord, when's the right time? How do I approach this? I talked to somebody recently who um, was so thankful that God, through circumstances, had given her a little bit of time before she went to her friend with her many offenses, because she was really hurt. And she'd planned on how she was going to talk to her about it. But she couldn't quite get to it. There was time, circumstances. And she said, now I realize that was a gift from the Lord because I brought it before him and I realized what I really wanted in this friendship was restored friendship. But the way I was going about it was going to destroy it. It would have hurt her so much that it was the kind of situation where she thought, I thank you, Lord, that you slowed me down, thought it through. She's still going to talk to her, but now it's going to be in a context of love and of appreciation and understanding that seeing where her friend is coming from that God gave her perspective on. 
I really appreciated her being willing just to say that to me yesterday because I thought, yeah, that's just what we're going to be talking about. You know, I want to make sure I have enough time here. I think I do. I just want to tell you a story about my dad. My dad was, um, there's six in our family, and the three older ones grew up with him when he was in the Air Force. And he was very happy and lots of fun and had lots of purpose. But then he retired from the Air Force. And us three younger kids grew up with a man who was very depressed, very negative, very um, hard and kind of harsh on all of us, mostly because he was depressed. So what happened is I grew up feeling a lot of hurts, a lot of, boy, he's not there for me, a lot of woundedness. And just before Dad died, I had a chance to go up and spend some time with him. I didn't know it was, it was the last week of his life, but but I knew it was close, and I probably wouldn't see him again. So in my heart, I thought, I'm going to talk to him about how I was so wounded by all of these things that he had done, but I'd forgiven him, and that um, it was good now. And I wanted to have this really meaningful conversation that I'd never had with my dad up until that point. And I remember when I got there, and I was thinking about it, I just so clearly heard the Lord say, let it go. Have you forgiven him? I went, yes. He said, then let him off the hook. He's not going to be able to resolve this in one week. Let it go. Sometimes that's what the Lord will say to you with an offense if you go to him. He may just say, if you've forgiven them, release them. Sometimes he'll say, no, I want you to go with it, but I want you to come at it from this angle. So go to him first of all. But, you know, there's the other person in the group, which I relate to. <laughs> and we are the non-confronters, the avoiders. And this is like our free pass to say, oh, so I don't have to say anything? No. <laughs> Peacemaking does involve speaking the truth with love. And so whereas my tendency and some of your tendencies might be just to swallow it and say, well, it's okay, I've forgiven them, I don't have to bring it up again, the Lord, when you go to him, may say, no, actually, you're both going to grow a lot and you'll grow deeper in your relationship if you're honest and you bring this up. And so what we have to do is, as you remember, Ephesians as well, what does Paul say about anger? He said, be angry and don't sin. But don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And the principle there is don't let it fester. You've got to make a plan. Figure out when you're going to talk. In our marriage relationship, John is the talker. And I'm the one that kind of just buries things inside. And so he'll be really good for me because he'll say, what's wrong? Are you okay? Everything okay with you? <laughs> and my tendency is say, fine. <laughs> fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And of course, you know, he knows I'm not. But what we will do is he's, over the years, I've been learning to say, okay, I do want to talk, but right now I have to think it through first. So we will talk. Let's, let's set a date up. But we make a plan. So he's good for me in that because I'll have a tendency just to let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. But then a few months down the line, I'll blow up over it and something. And he's like, wow, where did that come from? And it came from way back when. You know, again, Paul talks in Romans, and he says, do whatever you can, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. Now, the last thing that I wanted to bring out, we've got the call forward to be authentic and real, the call forward out of this to be peacemaker, all the opposite of what we saw, <laughs> you know, when we were there uh, until, like I said, uh, Jacob blew up. And, but in a way, it was great because then he was able to recite all of his 
injustices, and the two of them talked. It is kind of funny, though, isn't it, how we use that little saying, may the Lord be between thee as for as long as we're apart from each other is kind of this wonderful little farewell message to each other when we're leaving. It wasn't a really sweet message. It really, in the context, was you stay on your side of the border and I stay over here and we don't ever have anything to do with each other again. <laughs> so before you use that as your greeting, remember the context. <laughs> but the last one, which is so cool for me and was so encouraging in light of everything that we're facing right now with the, with the virus going around is, did you see God throughout it all? Was it not amazing to see God at every point. You know, I counted, there are 14 different references, all the way from verse 3, all the way through to 53, where you hear, God, the Father's been with me. Your father cheated me, however, God did not allow him to hurt me. God's taken away, God has taken away your father's livestock. God said to me in a dream, lift up your eyes, see how I'm building your flock. For I've seen all that Laban's been doing to you, I have seen it. I'm the God of Bethel, whom you have anointed a pillar and made a vow. Leave this land. Rachel acknowledged God's taken away the wealth from her father. God came to Laban in a dream and said, be careful. Essentially, be careful what you do with him. Leave him alone. Laban, in speaking to Jacob, turns, refers to the dream, your God of your father has warned me. And if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction, and he has rebuked you. May the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent from one another, and God is our witness. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. I'm really encouraged with this, because you know what? You can't help but read this family and think, my goodness, they are a dysfunctional group of people. <laughs> and then you can't go too far before you're looking at your own family going, we're all like this. We're just pathetic. <laughs> you know, we, we lie and we manipulate and we try to take control when we think God isn't acting soon enough or whatever. We, are, we struggle so much with all of this, and yet God doesn't give up on us. He is faithful. He, was, he allowed Jacob to live out consequences of his behavior, but he also intervened where there was danger so that nothing would harm. No, Laban couldn't harm him. He, and, and Jacob seemed to have been growing in his faith throughout this because he acknowledged God is the one. God's the one that handled the sheep. He thought he was doing something with the little, you know, stick. It's God. God was the one that multiplied these sheep. God was the one that was looking out for him. And God saw the injustice, and he did in his time. In his perfect time, he said, okay, it's time to leave time to go now. And I was just so encouraged as I looked at that because, you know, Jacob lived 20 years with injustice. That's a long time. And you would wonder at that point, does God even see it? Did he accept it because he felt his own sense of shame? Like, uh, I probably deserve it. Yeah, he did. But God was present and God intervenes when necessary, and God fulfills his purposes all the time. Now, I know I think I heard both Martha and Marcy say that in our group. God will do it. And I found, it was just so cool because I was reading in Psalm this week. Psalm 138 says, verse 8, it says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O God, endures forever. 
don't abandon me, for you made me. And Psalm 57, 2, I cry out to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God will do it. We talked about it before, you know, in Philippians. What God has begun, he will complete. And even he'll do it despite us. <laughs> despite all of our back and forth and around, he will do it. He is faithful. He's loving, and he's sovereign. He's in control. So when in this day and age, my call out to you today, and I believe it's the Spirit's call out to you, is run to this wonderful, very present God with your desire to be honest and real and authentic. Run to him with your anger and your resentment and ask him how he can make you a peace, peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper. And run to him because he knows you, he sees you, he loves you, and he's in control. And in light of everything that's going on right now with the fear that's really gripping the world, this is a time more than ever that your loved ones around you, your neighbors, your community need to see you run to this God and affirm again. He's in control. He sees. He loves. He knows what's going on. So don't join the fear frenzy. That's not typical to who we are. At least that's what the Lord's not calling us out to. But he is saying, worship me, affirm that I'm in control, pray, knowing who I am, and pray. I, I read a really great prayer today from someone who was talking about, he said, first of all, as you pray about this whole virus thing, ask the Lord, Father, is there something you want me to learn through this right now? Are you wanting to develop something in me in the midst of this crisis? Maybe it's my faith. You're stretching me forward. But I loved what this one particular man, as he was talking, he said, pray for the authorities, the our authorities that are running our country and cities. Pray for them. They're having to make hard decisions. They're afraid. Pray for the medical teams treating the sick. They're very vulnerable. And they are having to step in and essentially be exposed and know that they go home to their own families too. Pray for the men, women, and children who have been infected and the people afraid to leave their homes, for those who are living in red zones and for those at high risk with illnesses, for the elderly. Pray that the Lord would protect us and keep us. Pray to him that he might show us mercy. And I would say, let's pray that the Lord would raise up quickly a vaccine and something that would help to deal with this, we ask for his mercy. Remember David when he called on the Lord for his mercy when the plague was infected? We call on our wonderful God who does see for mercy. But in the middle of that, until this ends, he's saying be a people of hope and joy, a people of prayer. And I think that the, the thing that we have to always remember is that affirm and believe he's in control. So I thought maybe we could just take a couple of minutes. I know you've already prayed, but those specific things, to pray for our authorities, pray for the medical, pray for those who've already lost loved ones and they're now in financial uh, trouble. Pray for all who have been affected and pray for that vaccine or whatever, however the Lord chooses to end it. It may not be through a vaccine. It might be something altogether different, but how that he would intervene on our behalf, okay? So I'll... 
close right now, but then I would encourage you just to, well, maybe what I'll do is why don't we just take, everybody just kind of go to one other person and let's just pray together for that. And that's how we'll end our, our time together, that we can have this group time of praying for his intervention.